The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, our show is very interesting today. It's about information superiority, which I bet you don't even know what that is. But we're going to find out all about it. Let me tell you about my wonderful guest we have with us today, coming from the East Coast, Kenneth Mortensen, who is Vice President, Assistant General Counsel, and Chief Privacy Officer at CVS Caremark Corporation. And he has corporate responsibility for the information governance privacy strategy, and data management needs of not only the individual privacy of their customers, but also compliance with all the state and federal laws and compliance, lots of stuff. His responsibilities include developing and implementing an information governance framework and enhancing privacy policies and training and minimizing the impact on individual privacy for their customers while achieving the COPE goals for their corporation, which I happen to love going to CVS. So that's good. And I should tell you also that Ken in, uh, was elected to the board of directors for the International Association of Privacy Professionals, which is IAPP, which you've heard us interview many of the people, including me, who I am one of their CIPPs. So it's, it's a great organization of privacy professionals. But let me just tell you a little bit about his background more, because prior to entering the private sector, Ken served in the administration of President George W. Bush as the Chief Privacy and Civil Liberty Officer for the United States Department of Justice. And before coming to the Justice Department, he held the position of Deputy Chief Privacy Officer for the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. And there, his duties included strategic planning, budgeting, staffing, personnel management, in, in addition to counseling on privacy and security issues. And we talked many times about that balance between security and privacy, and that must have been a real challenge. So I just wanted to get started more. We have a lot more about him on our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. And also, you can learn more about him at cvscaremark.com. So without further ado, I'm just so excited to talk to you, Ken. How are you? Doing very good, Mari. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Okay, so you have had some exciting background in, in being a chief privacy officer in the federal government and also now in corporations. 
So can you tell us, you know, how is it different and how is it the same? Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is a lot of things of it are the same. I mean, um, most organizations want to be able to make sure they're complying with the various laws and regulations and other restrictions there are uh, on the handling of personal information. So in many ways, there's many things that I did in the federal government dealing with the Privacy Act of 1974 or the Government Act that relate to similar types of things I now do uh, in my current job dealing with HIPAA and various state laws. But the one distinction I would say is there is this issue of, you know, the constitutional collection, use, maintenance, and dissemination of information that's in the government. So when I was at the Department of Justice, obviously we were a national security and a law enforcement agency, which brings together some really unique issues and some interesting areas of dealing with things such as how do you deal with foreign intelligence and dealing with the issues of the collection of information on U.S. citizens, non-U.S. citizens. How do you distinguish between um, a U.S. person and a non-U.S. person under the uh, intelligence rules for the uh, for the intelligence community? So um, perhaps the issues in that area are things that, you know, most normal, I would say, uh, corporations aren't going to be worrying about. You're not going to have classified information. But the basic stuff, I think, does remain the same. Um, the, the one thing I would say is that when I was with the government, you certainly did have the feeling of serving the folks of this nation, and it was just a wonderful honor to do that and be able to make sure that as the agency went ahead with its operations, as the FBI agents did their investigations, as the DEA folks were cutting down on drug crime, that you knew that you were playing a part in ensuring that they were protecting the privacy and civil liberties of the citizens of this country. Right. And you were dealing a lot more with criminal aspects than, than obviously you don't deal with that very much in, in the corporate headquarters, right? I hope I don't have to deal with that very often, <laughs> quite honestly. Uh, although I will say there are times certainly when my background of dealing with law enforcement is important. I mean, it's not as though uh, the crime is not happening uh, in the private sector. Um, there's many times where I interface with law enforcement to help them do their investigations and solve crimes. Right. When, um, there's, when there's a security breach or questions of identity theft or something like that, I would think that would be part of it as well, correct? Exactly. And, and, and even up to dealing with uh, if we had a store uh, that there was a uh, theft or right. a robbery or something like that, dealing with the issues that are surrounding uh, trying to identify who the criminals are. Right. So you have offline and online security breaches as well. So yeah, but it's a little bit different. I, I just, you know, I, you, what years were you at the Homeland Security? I came in uh, towards the beginning. I started w- w- working for Nula O'Connor Kelly, who oh, I believe yeah. you had on your show in exactly. the past, uh, in 2005. Um, and then in 2007, I went over to the uh, Department of Justice. I followed Jane Horvath. Oh, I know all these people. It's wonderful. So let's talk a little bit about wh- what is information superiority? Well, Information superiority is a concept that a number of us who have been in the privacy profession for a while have been kind of working on. And and the main person I've been uh, kind of thinking through some of these issues with is a fellow named uh, Andy Serwin. Andy's a uh, privacy attorney at uh, Foley and Lardner out in San Diego. And uh, And he's been been, he's a friend of mine, and he's been on our show too. Yeah, he's been on our show. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, well, Andy and I, you know, have seen this issue, and, and he and I met when I was still in the government. Uh, we had known of each other kind of before that, but we really started talking about, you know, listen, there's all these issues, any organization, whether it's a government organization uh, or a private sector organization, the real issue is how do we treat information in that organization? Um, and, and part of this has to do with kind of the progression that we've seen in privacy. Um, you know, you've probably have had folks come on and talk about the transition of privacy, how we began back in the Allen Weston days of 1967 with the first look at information privacy. We call that Privacy 1.0. Mm-hmm. And then when we got to the information age and the Internet and the web and some of the changes that the FTC brought to uh, the um, environment of looking at how do we have privacy policies, what sort of trade practices would be deceptive from a privacy standpoint, we moved into the area of what we call Privacy 2.0. And then today, with the kind of the ubiquitousness of information and how much there is and how much it flows, we're kind of moving into a new era of what we would call Privacy 3.0, which is looking at all types of information about us, where it's going beyond just the worry about sensitive information, but just little details and the volume and amount of those details and what does that mean. Right. So organizations have at each of those different stages in the privacy evolution had different approaches with privacy 1.0 it was a compliance approach you would have an organization you would understand what was the laws you would understand what fair information principles were and you would apply those in a way to ensure that your organization was compliant with privacy 2.0 it broadened in the understanding that we needed to have some process so we say that we had information governance that was going around that process. And many organizations today are in the process of putting together information governance routines. In fact, I would say my own organization, we're working on that to build uh, the process within the organization that connects the security, the privacy, the data protection, and um, the values that go with those together, having a full process that we would call governance. And, and then does that also include segregation of sensitive versus less sensitive information? And is that part of the process as well? It, it certainly is part of that process, and, and the identification of those assets is part of that process. So you know what is sensitive and what is not sensitive. But also, the thing that Andy and I kind of realized, and, and Andy has started up this really interesting think tank uh, called the Lares Institute, um, where we're trying to kind of look at the next stage, which is your point exactly of trying to, how do you segregate all that information out? But the real issue is, well, wait a minute. Privacy is, in its context, uh, something that is dependent upon the situation and circumstances surrounding the individual at the time of the collection of the information or at the time of the use or at the time of the sharing of that information. And something which may have been sensitive in one context would have not been sensitive in another. The example I like to give is that um, you can go online and look up what my salary was when I was in the administration because we've determined that the salaries of appointed officials, we want to make that public record. We want to have transparency. Yet my salary before then and after then uh, is a private bit of information that I want to have kept confidential. So even though it's the same information in context, it's different because of a number of different things. Where I am now working, temporarily, because the time period is different. It's not the time I'm in the government. So all those things go into affecting privacy, and that's kind of going beyond. This is the privacy 3.0 that we're seeing, where we have, if you will, a sliding scale of trying to understand 
the context of the information that goes with the sensitivity information, and therefore we would understand the potential for harm, which lets us understand how do we have to optimize risk. And, and the concept there is that this, this idea of being able to put all that together requires an organization not just to understand strictly privacy in a straight-line mode, but to really understand it in a three-dimensional way that allows that organization to recognize when will the different privacy requirements, if you will, be impacted by a particular collection, use, storage, or sharing of that information. And that's why we're talking about companies and organizations or even government bodies moving to this concept of information superiority. That is, don't try to segment out what you would call your privacy information from your other information, but rather recognize that all information has a value. In fact, the, there's three elements that we focus on. First is that <clears throat> the information must, must be the critical asset of an organization. Understand that there's no organization today that can drive itself forward without having information. There's nothing any company, there's nothing any agency is able to accomplish without all the information that's behind it. Right. So, so by recognizing that, you now create that to be a priority. The second thing is you use that information in a manner and set up a governance process that optimizes risk. Now, what's interesting is a, a very good friend of mine, uh, Deron Rotman from KPMG, taught me, I used to say minimize risk. And he said, no, 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 Ken. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to minimize risk he said, because you're always trying to drive to a zero. He goes, and the problem is you never reach zero. Right. Minim saying minimize gives you that illusion that you'll reach a zero-risk situation. Well, that's not true, and he's right. What you want to do is optimize risk so that you can bring it down and put yourself vis-a-vis -vis the information, the situation, and what you're trying to do in the best possible position. So critical asset to optimize risk, and what that does is it allows the organization now to facilitate decision-making. And I mean decision-making in a very broad, broad sense. In the, because now you're able to use information strategically and you're able to use the information across the organization in a manner that respects both its confidentiality, the privacy of the individuals, but brings a return on the value of that information to an organization. It sounds like it's overwhelming for these organizations unless they start up the organization and do this kind of privacy by design to, to kind of go back and try and do this. Sounds like a nightmare. Am I right? Well, Yes and no. I mean, certainly if you think that the only way you're going to be able to build this sort of situation is by going back and retrofitting, oh, yes, very much a nightmare. Yeah. But if you start kind of from a fresh slate and you have nothing written on the blackboard and you say, okay, we want to make one of our core competencies in this organization be our information and how we handle that information, how we process that information, and understanding what the impact is of that information in our organization, then you can take the approach of being able to build that by privacy by design, by security by design. All those approaches now fit into that. Now, you can begin doing that in a way that slowly transitions you from the governance process through to the superiority process uh, very easily. Jumping from the compliance Going right to superiority, that's going to be difficult. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because compliance, as I said before, is fairly much point to point. Governance creates straight line, and then superiority gives us this three-dimensional view on how the organization views information. And the, the, 
the problem with most organizations is they're still kind of in compliance mode, which yeah. is, it's important and it's good. And, and certainly as a privacy professional, I'm glad to hear uh, we've got folks that are hiring people to do compliance. But if an organization really wants to get out of, well, privacy is an impediment, privacy is an expense, privacy costs me money, to I can get real value, you have to be able to go from a compliance to a governance to an information superiority. Now, have you have you dealt with this with the Federal Trade Commission and discussed this? Are they part of the think tank, too? Uh, they're not part of the think tank, but I know that Andy has spoken to folks there, and I certainly have chatted to my former colleagues in the government, both in the Federal Trade Commission and in uh, HHS and back in DOJ, where, you know, these are ideas that are not, I, they're, they're certainly not unique to the private sector. I mean, the the public sector could use this concept as well. If you think about it, if you could have the optimization of risk with regard to the information, say, an agency like Homeland Security uses, we could find a way to make sure that we have the most effective and efficient use of information while at the same time having the most minimal impact on personal privacy. So give me an example of how that works. I'm, I'm just a little bit confused. I know about segregating things, but... I, you're not really segregating. I mean, might it be encrypted for one department, not encrypted for another department? I'm thinking like if you have a, an organization that has a marketing department and a security department and a sales department, you know, you have all these different departments. Kind of give my audience a, kind of a, a, a view of how this would look. Sure. Well, you gave actually a really good example there using encryption as one of the tools. So what you might have is you might say, listen, we collect right now information from individuals in 10 different ways. We have 10 different forms or 10 different web pages, yet it all goes into the organization and it will have multiple purposes and multiple uses, but we want to make sure that we're only interfacing a single time. And there's good reasons for that because it provides for better data integrity. You can communicate better with the individual. They have an understanding of that. And then what we want to be able to do is have that information be someplace where then you have privacy by design, security by design built into those systems such that the access and use and the disclosure of that information is governed by the specific purposes. So we're aligning, if you will, with the FIPS in that concept and linked to, if necessary, any particular consents that would be required, like if it was a HIPAA issue in terms of dealing with protected health information, your medical information, that a proper authorization would be there. Or the systems would understand through a what we would call a business flow that, oh, this is, falls under one of the exceptions. It's for payment processing or it's for a treatment to go to a healthcare provider or it's for the administrative operations of the organization. And the idea would be that you would be able to have necessarily not the the information kind of as the core uh, to the organization. Now, technically how that works out. Yeah, yeah, I think there. You got to have some great programs, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, what what well, the way that I envision this working is there's a there's a movement in the technology side uh, called enterprise architecture. And the concept there is that you build knowledge management systems that there's a singular architecture that is used within the organization to define how information services are delivered. It, it creates what's called a service model. And the whole idea is it's separate from the privacy and it's separate from the security, but it's how we are delivering information. Hmm. And an enterprise architecture allows you to create a single structure. Uh, it's typically called a reference model um, that allows that organization to define how does it 
use, access, and disclose information. Now, on that, what you layer is the privacy security, do the privacy by design and security by design. And through that mechanism, you're able to optimize the use and therefore optimize risk. And, and the nice thing about this is it's not just risk from a security standpoint or a risk from a privacy standpoint. Um, by, say, perhaps maybe only collecting it once or collecting it through a single interface, you now reduce the risk of data integrity, which could have an impact in other regulatory compliance. It has nothing to do with privacy and security. It may have to do with, say, how do you deliver certain information to a government agency or to ensuring that you have appropriate records. These are all things that information can be impacted by. And by going to information superiority, you're moving beyond the privacy. You're moving beyond the security, but you're really moving into a situation where you now know information has this core, um, it's a core component of what the organization does, and you, you can have trust in the information, you can have uh, greater use and, and facility of the information, but at the same time, you're still protecting privacy because that's built into it. I must tell my audience, Ken, that you began your career at Burroughs Corporation as an electrical engineer performing large systems design and test development for maintenance computers. So, you know, I mean, this is why you it's how often do we get an attorney who's so techy and really understands how this stuff is done? That's that's a wonderful blend that you have. <laughs> I, I just have to tell my audience because they're probably thinking, oh, my gosh, this guy's an attorney and electrical engineer. That's amazing. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I consider myself a geek, and you can't spell geek without double E, so, uh, you know. No, I love it. I love it. So who is building this design? I mean, who is, who is, are there companies out there that have this, this software that, it's, it's all software, right? I mean, is it well, software? Well, it's, it's, it, I mean, I would say it's not just software, it's, the, you know, the enterprise architecture concept really is uh, a conceptual design and building it's a strategic approach. There's a number of companies that are using it. Uh, my company, for example, our uh, CIO, Stuart McGowan, has uh, employed the value of enterprise architecture. Again, he's taking it from a service delivery standpoint, uh, mm -hmm. which is what most CIOs are looking at, is how can they deliver effectively, efficiently the information to uh, the folks there. What we like to say is that it's the right information to the right people at the right time. I'm kind of stealing from my uh, good friends in the intelligence community, right? <laughs> um, but it is a, it's a it's a combination of software, hardware, design. Um, it, it also, as an architecture, I mean, th if you think about it, a good efficient building. Uh, say a, uh, one of the, those uh, new buildings that are LEEDs certified, meaning that they're green and uh, do not harm the environment or minimize the impact on the environment. Well, the only way that those work together and optimize the impact and minimize the impact on the environment is that it has to have a good architect. Right, right. And, and the architect is the one that kind of tells how all the pieces go together. But architecture isn't just making things efficient. Uh, as we all know, you know, really good architecture is also a bit of art. Yes. And has that secondary component. And that's sort of what I'm talking about here. So there's not like I could tell you, oh, this company XYZ has software you can just go buy off the shelf. Or this piece of hardware, if you install it from this company, that'll solve your problem. No, because I, I would think that each company has different needs. And if we're talking about, for example, the European Union, that has a whole different set of privacy laws, then there's, even though you would build a structure, it would have to be very different from our from our companies, Abs but absolutely. No, you, you, Mari, you hit the nail on the head, and that's the reason why 
we think this approach is a better approach for companies because it deals with the circumstances and situations that the organization's facing. And that way you can adjust and recognize within the design of the architecture, oh, by the way, this portion of the architecture stands in Europe. Therefore, we have to make sure we have addressed these particular laws. And again, there's, you know, beyond the privacy laws and, and the directives in Europe, there's also other types of laws that you have to deal with. And I'll give you an example. Previously, I was at uh, Boston Scientific as their chief privacy officer. And one of the things that we dealt with over there in, t- in terms of information regulation beyond the uh, data protection directives, I had to deal with what was called the medical device directive. Mm-hmm. The medical device directive required the collection and the sharing of certain information. It's not too different from the FDA requirements that you have. And if you think about it, um, you know, in a, like a medical device or pharmaceutical, obviously there's certain information that you want to have collected, you want to have maintained. Right. Uh, in this case, because we sold devices that were implanted inside of folks, uh, we sold what are called implantable cardiac defibrillators, uh, we wanted to be able to track those individuals should there be a reason to have a recall or the, yes. we think there's a problem with the device. We need right. to be able to get to those folks, get to their doctors and say, hey, you know, you got to do something because it could affect the health right. of, certainly right. of the individual. So that's an information issue, another regulation has nothing to do with privacy on its face, but obviously it interacts. So oh, oh a- yeah, because, you know, you, it is good to give that private information to the doctor, but this isn't something you'd want to share in marketing. It, it, precisely. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. it. But you have it in the organization and the right. way that, that you want that information to flow. Now, there may be sub-information out of that. Let's say, for example, that while you're not going to give the identifiable information to marketing, you're going to certainly say, hey, by the way, marketing, we've sold X number of these devices. Right. 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 That's or different information. Or this configuration of the device being sold. Therefore, that's something you might want to suggest as part of looking at, is this going to create a new, I mean, like research and development. Right. Research, you know, uh, the other thing that, that could be a big deal, especially in the healthcare arena for any healthcare company, uh, is there's a whole bunch of information that if you had it available for research, de-identified, so we've dealt with the privacy issue. Now you have ways to look at, oh gosh, how does that information impact the ability to find new healthcare solutions, to deliver healthcare in new ways, to lower the cost of healthcare? Those are all kinds of things that the information could be used to do with. If you have it and you understand, oh, okay, I have to recognize there are privacy controls that go on this, there are security controls that go on this, there are other information regulation controls that go on this. And that's how an organization then is able to kind of say, we have this information and we can take a step forward and be a leader in that way. Now, there are no organizations there right now, honestly. Um, There are many folks, very good friends, smarter people than me, that are working on this idea too, and everyone is trying to figure out, because it's not a simple thing to do. Uh, enterprise architecture is a concept that's been around for quite some time, and many organizations still haven't adopted it because the problem in any organization is getting through the momentum there is just built with the current systems, the current information uses, uh, the organizational trends that exist there. And you have to get over that momentum to be able to kind of, if you will, turn the ship and get them in the direction of, okay, we're going to do something proactive. We're going to build this ahead of time that the value for this is not an immediate return, but it has a long-term return. And that is how you will get better use, better effectiveness, you know, better value out of the information as you go forward. 
Well, that is a perfect place for us to end. Oh my gosh, that was just, oh, I feel like I just had a, 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 a one of your courses. It was fantastic. Thank you so much. And we're going to have to follow up on this and find out what, what is really the next step going to happen because it is time to go. So thank you so much. You have been wonderful. Why don't you just give your website and maybe where we can learn more about this. Sure, Mara, and thank you so much. And uh, if you want to learn more about information superiority, please go to the Lara's Institute website, www.lara's, L-A-R-E-S, institute, all one word, dot com. Terrific. Kenneth Mortensen, you're terrific, and we will have you back again. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Write us emails about what's important to you in the information age and who else you'd like to see or hear on our show. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. 